0: new to the table when I say there seems to be a lot of anger in the world today. Like, people just seem to be mad. and I, I don't think that shocks anybody. Like I didn't say that, and then somebody turned to their neighbor and go, really? I don't, I don't see that at all. Like Everybody seems so calm and rational in the world. My Facebook feed seems like everybody's really peaceful and calm. Like, nobody responded that way because we all look at the world and the conversations that are going on, we look at our social media feed, and we realize like, that people are... People are mad about all kinds of different stuff, but there's all this emotion in the, world, uh, in the world that we live in, and everybody seems to feel the need to comment about issues that are in the world. The problem is when you comment, even if you're mad, people get mad at how you were mad. Like you weren't mad the right way. You, um, you used the wrong pr- pronoun when you got mad. Like, you didn't phrase it the right way when you got mad. You're from the totally wrong demographic. You don't get to be mad about this topic. Only this group of people get to be mad about that topic. You don't get to be mad about this topic. You're mad now, but you you weren't mad 17 years ago when this vaguely similar thing happened. Or you were mad then and you're not mad now. So we're mad that you were mad then and you're not mad. mad. Everybody's mad. It doesn't matter what you do to try to, to, to give an honest opinion. It's difficult to avoid the anger that's in the world today. I follow Beth Moore on Twitter. Some of you know Beth. She's a Bible teacher, great speaker, a wonderful communicator, author. Read her stuff, buy her stuff. It's all good stuff. Um, a couple of weeks ago, she was tweeting about a, a different topic But she used this sentence in her tweet. Mad is the new sad. Mad is the new sad. And I got thinking about that. And and, and I think mad really is the new substitute emotion. Like whatever I'm feeling, it comes out as mad. If I'm sad, then I get mad that I'm sad. Uh, If I'm disappointed, mad is the substitute for disappointment. If I have to wait... Mad is the substitute for having to wait. Like, every emotion now, if I'm discouraged, if I'm depressed, if I'm ha- if I'm down, if I'm having a bad day, mad seems to be the new substitute for every emotion. We just sort of go right to mad. Start arguing with one another. If you're new today, we're in a series called Seven. We're working through the seven deadly sins, which is a list that the church has historically looked to to say, like, these are seven ones, not that they're bigger to God, not that they're more sin to God, but they have particular, they they can have ways of particularly destroying your life. We've said that the seven deadly sins really are desires. They're things we feel on the inside that open the door to a whole list of other sins. Like if we give enough room to these seven sins, they're going to lead to more, more problems. Um, so each week we've been trying to come up with a definition for each of the seven deadly sins. Here's my definition for anger. It's the desire for life to be the way that I think it should be and my reactions when it isn't. It's the desire, inner desire for things to be the way I think they should be and then how I react when that isn't the case. James, brother of Jesus, writes a book in the New Testament. Uh, he says something very similar. James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? In other words, what causes anger? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So James says the the root of anger, the root of conflict is unmet expectations. Like I thought it should be this way and it was this way and I'm mad about it. I thought they should have and they didn't. So I'm mad about, I expected this to happen and it didn't happen and that makes me angry. Now, the tricky part of it is my expectation may be perfectly reasonable. Like it may be a perfectly reasonable expectation that doesn't get met and then I respond with anger, you, you could probably tell me stories of your expectations, your unmet expectations, and I would go, that was reasonable. That, you're right, you should have expected that. We, we have certain expectations for the way our parents should have treated us as kids, and they're perfectly reasonable. We have expectations of how our adult children should treat us now that they're adult, and they're perfectly reasonable. We have expectations of how our boss should treat us, or how our friends should treat us, or how our neighbors should treat us, or how the country should work, or what the president should do. We have have perfectly reasonable expectations. So, unmet expectations is not just unreasonable expectations, sometimes We have very reasonable expectations that go unmet, and then what's the emotion that we bring to that unmet uh, expectation? Here's one of the most dangerous expectations that we can have in life, and that is that I expect my life to be free from struggle and tragedy and pain and injustice. Now, this is not one that we verbalize. It may not even be one that we say to ourselves. We would never verbalize, I expect my life just to be perfect and everybody to cooperate. Like We would never say that. I expect everybody to do what I want them to do. We would never say that, but sometimes our approach to life is along those lines. Because we get upset, we get angry, we get frustrated when things don't go our way. But things aren't going to always go your way. Things aren't always going to go the way you expect, even if it's a reasonable expectation. And the reason for that, we kind of have to go upstream from anger a little bit. We have to step back from anger a little bit. The reason that things don't always go our way is because the world's a broken place full of broken people. And I don't know what your philosophy of this is. I don't know how you look at humanity and uh, that sort of thing. I don't know what your theology of this is. But here's what Christianity teaches Christianity teaches that because we disobey God, and humans from the very beginning have disobeyed God, the world's not working perfectly. Everything doesn't happen the way it should. Everything doesn't happen according to justice or fairness. There is a brokenness to the world system, and there is a brokenness in human beings, and that leads to disappointment. To struggle, to pain, to tragedy, to conflict, to anger. Because what happens is, this is not just sort of a theory out there, there's this brokenness. The brokenness that's out there in the world and out there in other people sometimes intersects with my life. Like sometimes that brokenness crashes into my life and then I've got to deal with the unmet expectation that came because it shouldn't have been this way. You've used that phrase before. It shouldn't be this way. That's not fair. That's not just. And you may be completely correct. But the reality is the world's broken. Now here's the harder part. We want the world to operate fairly. Right? We want there to be just. And there is a measure of justice in the world. But because of the brokenness... There's not justice and fairness everywhere. Solomon tried to convey this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's uh, one of the things that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 9. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. In other words, Solomon's not giving up. This is always the way it is. Solomon is just saying, life is not always fair. And if you have this expectation that life is always going to fa- be fair and always going to be just, you're going to be disappoint- disappointed, and at some point, that disappointment's going to lead to anger. And Solomon says, life's not always fair. The fastest, they don't always win. Sometimes they do. They don't always win. Sometimes life works in the opposite of justice and fairness, and what you and I would say is right. There's a brokenness. So the world's not operating perfectly. Here's what we don't want to admit. Just like there's brokenness out there that sometimes intersects with my life, there's also brokenness in me that sometimes crashes into the lives of other people. And we don't like to think about that, but it's the truth. Like things aren't always right inside of me. And sometimes that not right inside of me crashes into you. I look back at my life, and there are times that I said things I wish I could take back, and I can't. I said things more harshly than I wish I would have in the moment. I didn't follow through on something. I disappointed somebody. I let somebody down. I made the wrong choice, and there were consequences for those wrong choices. I look back at my life, and the brokenness that is in me has crashed into other people, and the brokenness that's in you has crashed into other people, too. And as a result of all this crashing... You and I have a real temptation to get angry because it shouldn't have been that way, but it is. Now, look, I'm not minimizing anybody's hurt. I'm not minimizing anybody's pain. I'm not saying, well, that's just the way the world is. Deal with it. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that's the way the world is. And, And you and I, we have to deal with that on the inside before it becomes detrimental to us on the outside and to the relationships that we're in. And when the Bible speaks of anger, it uses multiple words to kind of cover a range of of anger because maybe all of us think of anger in different ways. Probably most of us, when we hear anger, we immediately go to like the person that's out of control just crazy, angry, destructive, saying all the wrong things, hurting people. And yes, that's a part of anger, but the Bible says like anger starts way at the other end too, like with just a little bitterness. That's starting anger in our heart. There's a couple of words that the Bible uses, Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament's written in Greek. There's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament for anger that means heat. That's a pretty good word for anger, right? We talk about being hot headed or being hot tempered. Uh, That's a picture the Old Testament uses, heat. The thing about heat, though, especially with anger, it provides a lot of heat but not much light. It charges up my emotion. It doesn't illuminate my thinking. Uh, If anything, anger clouds my thinking. Like when I give in to anger, like when I let it go in my life, it doesn't help me see things more clearly. It helps me become more foggy in my view. There's another word. There's an Old Testament word and a New Testament word. And they both relate to breathing heavy through the nose. Literally, this is the picture. Like... (laughs) That's sort of like bull in a corner, right? That's a, that's a pretty accurate picture of anger. The New Testament word that means that, it's the picture more of a sudden burst of anger. Like somebody just explodes. We, we talk about people having a short fuse, and so they just explode. And words come out, and maybe they get violent, maybe property gets destroyed, and it's just bam! There it is, all right on the surface immediately when they get angry. Different New Testament word, different Greek word means more simmering, scheming. Like they may look calm on the outside, but on the inside it's churning. Like they've been thinking about it for weeks. It's the idea of vengeance. Like they've been working, it. next time I'll see that person, I'm going to tell them. what. And it just goes over in their minds and they rehearse it again and again and again. And, and, and probably here this morning, you're, you're probably more one or the other. You're either more right on the surface, you're going to explode if you get angry, words are going to come out, you're going to react, and, and, and I would say to you, boy, there's a lot of damage that can be done in a short period of time if that's you. Like in the matter of about five seconds, you could say something, do something, you're going to regret for the rest of your life. But then, but then there's others of you, and you're the simmerers, right? Like the pot's just below boiling, so nobody really knows it's there. It's just about to come to the top. and You feel like you've got it under control. You're, you're the schemer. Right? Like right now, you're thinking of somebody. Right? They've already come to mind. You're already thinking about tomorrow when you see them at the office and what you're going to say. And you're rehearsing, and there's a scheme, and there's a strategy, and you're a little bit scary if the truth were told about you because you just keep thinking about it. And the Bible says you've got to deal with that. What happens is we have an unmet expectation that triggers an emotion on the inside. Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it's a big flash. Sometimes it's simmering. Triggers an emotion. And then you and I get to decide what happens from there. What the Bible teaches, certainly what the New Testament says, is... What we're not allowed to do is allow our anger to keep running from that, from that point. We're not allowed to give into our anger at that point. Paul writes in Colossians and Ephesians almost the exact same thing. And uh, I'm going to read both of them. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You've got to get rid of it. All of it. And, and notice the range. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. Maybe it's words, maybe it's action, maybe it's just simmering on the inside. Paul's response is, you got to get rid of all of it. You got to get it out of your heart. He says basically the same thing in Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of well, get rid of it. You gotta root it out. You gotta take care of it. You can't let it continue to simmer. However you define it, bitterness, I'm just a little irritated, they just get on my nerves. Like how, whatever phrase you have for that emotion, Paul says, you got to get rid of it. Now, earlier in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul writes this, some of us know this phrase, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And It's, it's not so much a specific command, like a rule that you can't break, It's a principle, Paul is saying, like you can't let anger just hang out in your life. You can't. It's eating you up. It's impacting the relationships that you have with other people. It's, It's impacting you spiritually. Don't let the sun go down on your anger means, day after day, I can't keep rehearsing this anger, I can't keep holding on to this anger, even if I feel justified in my anger. Now, how do we do that? Like, What would be a step in that direction? Here's two. Admit when you're angry and where it's coming from. The, the, one of the hard parts of anger is it's so easy to justify. It feels like I deserve this. Like I was right, and maybe you were right. They were wrong. Maybe they were wrong. It is so easy to justify anger, but that doesn't help us get rid of it. Paul did not write in Colossians and Ephesians, justify your anger. He wrote, get rid of your anger. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your heart because it's damaging you and it's damaging your relationship. So step one is just say, yes, I am feeling this. And it's coming from anger. I am feeling this toward this person. I am feeling this toward this particular situation or this particular circumstance. And it's not about controlling our anger. We talk sometimes about controlling anger anger, or anger management. And those are good topics. I'm not saying we should avoid those topics. I'm just saying Paul doesn't write that we're supposed to control our anger or we're supposed to manage our anger. He writes, you're supposed to get rid of your anger. So step one is to say, yeah. I'm feeling that emotion, and I can't let it continue to fester in my life. And then step two, getting specific, this is where it's coming from. This is why I'm feeling this. This is what prompted this. And don't try to dress it up and don't try to make it better than it is. Don't don't try to make it more palatable than it is. Just own it. This makes me angry. This is what's causing me to be irritable and then be honest when it's something that you shouldn't be angry about. Here are two big categories that you and I should never, ever, ever be angry about. Category number one is don't get angry about things that ultimately don't matter. They just don't matter. And you may have to ask somebody else if they matter or not. Because if you're angry about it, you probably think it matters. But if you, if you told your friend, they would go, it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, that's really not something worth getting angry about. In, in, the, in the culture of anger, it's almost like everything is worth getting angry about. And you and I have to be real honest when it comes to this emotion Say, there's a lot of things I get worked up about, I get irritable about, I get angry about that really doesn't matter. And then the second big category, don't get angry about the things you can't change. Because anger is not going to change the things you can't change. Anger is deceptive in that it makes us think that we're doing something because it feels so empowering, it feels so right. But anger is not changing anything. And getting angry at things you can't change doesn't change anything either. I'm not suggesting that uh, we shouldn't be bothered by the injustices of the world. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be bothered by things that aren't fair. If you can do something about it, do it. If you can't fix the whole problem, but you can fix one little part of the problem, fix that part of the problem but continually being anger, angry over things that you and I can't change is not going to help. Next suggestion define the steps you need to take to rid yourself of that anger. Like, what would you have to do to either get that anger out of your life or avoid the situation and people who are causing that? Anger, and sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to decide, I need to minimize my time around this person. I need to minimize or remove myself from this circumstance or this situation because it feeds that part of me. It triggers that irritable part of me. I need to remove myself. I did this on social media a while back. I just had to dump some people, Right? not any of you, Um, a few of you. But um, no, no not, not like people that I know, like media and news and this, all of this arguing, all of these. I just had to say, I don't want to see that every day. Because what we often don't think about is that sets our mentality for the rest of the day. I mean, have, you, have you ever noticed like when you get irritated driving to work and then when somebody cuts you off, when... When there's, they tell you you're number one, when you're right behind them. When that happens, like there's something that rises up inside of you. And like that shapes everything about the way you view the rest of the day. It shapes the way you talk to people, the way you relate to people. It it shapes your ability ability to think and create and, and, and to pray. Like anger has this way of shaping our outlook and and our view get rid of it and that and that may mean i've got to separate myself from some people that may mean especially if you're a simmerer that may mean you cutting off some thoughts in the middle right getting better at detecting When your stream of thought is going back towards anger, like when you're rehearsing that conversation with that person you really want to tell off, like when you keep replaying what happened two weeks ago and what they did and what you said and what they said and how it wasn't fair and and how your boss did and they didn't take up for you and the family did, when you keep rehearsing that over in your mind, you and I need to develop the skill of stopping that train of thought. Now here's the thing, if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, because this can seem difficult, if you're a follower of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. He can do this. Like he can handle this. No matter what your past is when it comes to anger, or anger management, or, or flying off at the hand, or, or short view, whatever your past is, if Jesus lives inside of you, then the, the power of the resurrection is in there like he can give you the power if you if you lean towards him if you lean towards the holy spirit if you give him space in this area of your life he can make you stronger for some of us cutting that thought off is as simple as as a phrase i I can give you a deeply theological phrase to kind of cut that thought off um uh, th- th- there's a Greek and a Latin, but it's probably best if I translate it into English. So if you need like a theological phrase, when your mind is going into anger mode to cut it off, just use this one. Just say, this is stupid. <laughs> right, it's kind of technical. I'd be, be glad to define it if you need me to. But I mean, sometimes we just need to say, this is stupid. Now, why am I doing this again? Why am I having this same mental argument with this same person that I've had like five times? This is stupid. Let's practice. Just say, this is stupid. You didn't have your whole heart in it. (laughs) This is stupid. Turn to the person next to you. Say, this is stupid. Turn to the person on the other side. Say, you're stupid. I mean, this is stupid. Say, this is stupid. (laughs) Sometimes it's just allowing the Holy Spirit to help you take control of where your mind is taking you because it's taking you away from what God most wants for you, what God most has planned for you. What is best for your relationships, for your marriage, for your relationship to your kids, for your working relationship, for your extended family relationship, the things that is is best for your future and your relationships is to get this emotion out out of your life so what's the other side of that what's the proactive yes there's the stopping the ending what's the what's the prescriptive virtue if you're new we've been we've been trying to come up with you know what's a proactive thing we could work on that would help eliminate the negative from our life and for this one i just want to suggest be a peacemaker just decide You're going to be the peacemaker. I don't mean the doormat. I don't mean you get steamrolled in every conversation. Uh, I don't mean you get run over every time there's a decision to be made. Just that you're going to operate from your role being the person to step in and bring peace where there's conflict. Peace where there's argument. Peace where there's anger. Uh, The Proverbs deals with this uh, in several places. Let Let me read you a couple of the... Advices from the Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In those moments of heat, we're going to be one or the other. We're going to be the the gentle answer or the harsh word. We're going to bring the temperature down or we're going to raise the temperature. Uh, I've heard it said before, all of us, when it comes to conflict, uh, we either bring a bucket of water or we bring a bucket of gas. right? And just determine that God's role for you when it comes to conflict is to bring water. Let's let's bring the temperature down. Let's be the peacemaker. Another uh, verse from Proverbs. This is Proverbs 29. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. Mocker. Foolish people is what it means. Foolish people. They inflame Anger, They stir up the city. L- literally, they draw people into a trap. They draw people into this anger trap. They inflame the anger. Whereas the peacemaker brings calm. The, the peacemaker brings words of peace. The peacemaker brings w- words to bring the temperature down. They turn away anger. And that may not naturally be you. And that may not naturally be you, but this is what God wants to create in us as his followers, that we would be the peacemaker. I think in the culture that we live in, there's greater distinction between the two. Like, like there are obviously people who stir up, and there are obviously people who bring peace. know I mean, if you thought about it very long, you, you could probably separate most of the people you know into those two categories. Like if there's an argument this person is going to make it worse, this person is always going to make it better. This person is going to be calm and rational and spirit-led, and they're going to speak peace, and they're going to speak truth. This person is always going to make it worse. Be that person that brings peace. Now, last, Last thought when it comes to anger. Realize the limitations of anger. I know anger feels good at least for a time. Anger feels justified. But play that out. Play it out to the end of your anger. You've yelled and said what you had to say. You've been animated. Maybe you've been physical. Maybe property's been destroyed. You just play it all out. And at the end of anger... Does anybody ever go, oh, well, that fixed everything. I doubt it. I doubt it. Usually what it has done is it's create more problems. It's create more carnage, more hurt, more brokenness, more... There is a limit to what anger is going to get you. There is a limit to how many past hurts anger is going to be able to solve for you. And, and listen, I'm not minimizing your past and your hurt. I'm not minimizing how you've been wronged. Because for some of us, we've been very wronged in the past. Like, like we have huge wounds from the past. Like people did us wrong at the same time. There's just a limit to how much anger is going to fix. And as a matter of fact, it's a very small part of that, if any. There's a very small part of your wound from whatever happened in the past that anger is going to address. And it may not address any of it. And I'm probably not the best one to, to talk about that. Forrest Gump, maybe, though. Um, watch this. Maybe it was because she had nowhere else to go. Or maybe it was because she was so tired, because she went to bed and slept and slept like she hadn't slept in years. It was wonderful having her home. Every day we'd take a walk, and I'd jab her on like a monkey in a tree. And she'd listen about ping-ponging and shrimping and mama making a trip up to heaven. I did all the talking. Jenny most of the times was real quiet. Sometimes, I guess there just aren't enough rocks. Sometimes, I guess there just aren't enough rocks. And he's right. If you saw the movie, Jenny was, uh, as a child, she was abused as a child, very real, Not nothing to minimize. And yet, the words are still true. You can throw rocks and throw rocks and be angry and be angry and many times it's justified. Many times the brokenness of our world crashed into somebody's life and it's very real and it's very painful. But there just aren't enough rocks. There's not enough getting even that's going to make that right. There's not enough getting back There's not enough revenge. There's not enough vengeance. So God, who created you, and knew that you were going to come to a broken world, and that you would at times be disappointed and hurt in some very real ways, God sent His Son as the only one who can bind up the brokenhearted? the prophet says. Who can heal what's on the inside. And carrying around that anger is never going to measure up. So maybe we just need to look at our lives. We need to look at our lives and ask, where, where do I just keep throwing rocks? And it's time to admit, there's not enough rocks. I need to run to the one who made me, the one who can help me and love me and accept me and heal me. There's a rock under your chair, actually. Why don't you reach down and grab that? The band's going to come out uh, in just a little bit, and they're going to sing a song uh, that describes how God is able. God is able to carry our brokenness and our hurt. And whereas you and I can never make those things right, no matter how hard we try or how many rocks we throw or how much we try to get revenge, and there's a God that heals our hearts. There's a God that binds those places up. And, and, and I don't mean to make it sound like a light switch that you're just going to walk out of here and that's going to be gone. You're never going to think about it. I don't mean that at all. I, I, I mean that the Holy Spirit cares about you, loves you enough that He will enter into this process of healing you and making things new and holding you and carrying you even where there's not enough rocks. So as they sing, maybe you'd offer your rock up to God today. Maybe it's just anger in general. Maybe it's something specific in your life that you say, "God, I, I can't keep dealing with this. I need Your help." Maybe it would help you just as a, uh, as a public act, as a as a declaration as a way to draw a line in the sand just to bring your rock and place it right here you see all of these rocks from first service where people just came and said I'm putting it down I'm laying it down I'm going to let God have his way in my life maybe you need to do that as they sing God thank you for making us people of emotions that we get to experience the joys of life and we get to care deeply for one another and, and we get to share in each other's sorrows. Of all our emotions, this anger its just a tough one to get right. God, we know that there's a righteous anger but hardly any of what we have is righteous. We, we think it is. We want it to be. God, we know that our anger doesn't produce the life that you want us to live. Real anger over real things that happen. But as we carry it throughout our life, we keep trying to get even or get back. It limits your spirit from producing the type of person that we, we should become. And so may today, we put our rocks down. We take a step in the direction of getting anger out of our life, ridding our lives of this emotion. In Jesus' name.